Not sure what to make for dinner? Need some inspiration? Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, join Gabriel and his food hero guests on The Dinner Special. And now, here's your host, Gabriel So. Welcome to The Dinner Special. I am Gabriel So, and I am so excited to have Amy Kritzer of What You Want to Eat on the show. Amy is a cooking teacher, recipe developer, personal chef, and food writer, and her recipes have been featured in Cosmopolitan and Bon Appetit, just to name a few. Today, we're talking about Jewish food. Thank you so much for being here, Amy. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Well, let's start from the beginning. Your blog. Where did the idea for What You Want to Eat come from? Actually, I was living in New York City, wanted a change, so I moved where I live now to Austin, Texas. And I was working at a corporate job as a consultant, and I just felt the need to do something a little more creative. So I'd been reading a few food blogs and decided I might as well start my own. And my brother and I, growing up, we were always really into our heritage, our Jewish food. And we had this kind of running joke that we'd open the door for each other and say, after Jew, instead of after you. The Jew for you thing. So that was always kind of a joke we had. And he's like, why don't you do Jewish food? Like, no one's blogging about that kind of thing. It would be different and fun. So I said, you know, why not? So I just started it for kicks. And it ended up being my true passion. I looked forward to doing recipes every weekend, and I would sneakily go on Facebook at work to <laughs> update and everything and email with my new readers, and it was so fun. So I ended up quitting my job to go to culinary school, and that was three years ago. Now I've been doing this ever since. Wow. Were you always a writer? What drew you to start documenting your food journey, really? I've always been creative and definitely into writing. One of my prior jobs I had was as a conference producer, so I would write different copy and agendas and interesting things like that. So I've always loved writing, and I always loved cooking and baking. Growing up, I cooked a lot with my grandma, who I call my bubby, which is Yiddish for grandma. So I'd always cook with her, but I never thought of it as a career until more recently. So it's definitely something I've always had a passion for. Right. Now, how did you come up with the name? I feel like it was probably a fun process. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was so my brother, as I mentioned, kind of did the Jew for you thing. And I don't know, I, we were just kind of chatting about funny things. And I think it came up and we we're like, I don't know, if that's really going to fly. Should I actually use it? And in hindsight, it's definitely a name that stands out. People see it, they definitely have a reaction. And 99.9% .9 of the time, it's a positive one. Like, that's funny. I get it. Like, and people are like, are you Jewish? Is that offensive? Like, no, I am Jewish. It's fine. But it's definitely helped me stand out, I think. And it definitely says what my blog's about right off the bat. Right. You know, you totally get it right when you see the name of the blog. Now, Amy, you mentioned that you quit your corporate job to go to culinary school. Where did you find the confidence to fully commit to your passion? Yeah, it's kind of the thing. Looking back, I'm like, that's kind of a weird thing to do. You know, I just kind of went for it. But I've always been a passionate person and someone who's willing to take risks. I figure worst case, it would be a nice break from my corporate job. I could go get another job and I'd be a better cook. Like, who doesn't want to be a better cook, right? So it just didn't seem like that big of a risk to me. But people now, I always get emails asking where I got the courage and, you know, how can I encourage them to do the same thing? So I always say go for it. I think you'll regret maybe not doing it, but I never regretted going for it. And there was definitely some hit or miss moments. Where I'm like, is this the right thing? Like, I'm poor now. <laughs> it's rough, but it was totally worth it. And I really enjoyed it. And it led me to where I am right now. So Right. And it's pretty clear that now, I mean, your path has been sort of made and you sort of, you know, have a good sort of foundation for this as your career. Yeah. Now, how would you describe Jewish cuisine and Jewish culture for someone who's not familiar with it? Well, that's a 
very good question. I think in terms of Jewish food versus maybe Italian food or Chinese food, it's not just from a particular region. Jews have lived all over the world, and Jewish food's actually evolved. So in different places the Jews have lived, they've taken the kosher rules that they live by, and also some of the familiar recipes for holidays, like let's say matzo ball soup is a favorite of mine, very traditional for Passover. But if you go to Mexico where some Jews live, maybe they've added a little spice or a little cilantro to their version. So it's kind of evolved through the years. And Jews, unfortunately, we've gotten exiled from a lot of different places. So we you know, live in Eastern Europe, kind of got kicked out of there, live in America, kind of grab different things there. So living in Texas, I love to take some spices and local flavors and ingredients and adapt them to my food and my traditional recipes. And I think it's okay to take something traditional and, and tweak it and add some modern foods and conveniences that we have. Oh, for sure. And it just updates them and sort of makes them relevant to today, right? Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Now, what are some key or staple ingredients used in Jewish food and Jewish cooking that might not be everyday items for people who don't make Jewish food? I think with a lot of the food I make is the Ashkenazi Jewish food. My heritage is from Eastern Europe. So I think if you were going to talk to Jews from the Middle East or Africa or anywhere else, they might have different staples. And part of what I love with my blog is exploring these different types of Jewish food. And people always email me, like, asking me if I can make a recipe that they grew up with. And it's not something I grew up with. So I've definitely learned a lot. But I would say if you're going to start with Jewish food with the Ashkenazi heritage, there's definitely some ingredients such as matzah meal of your Passover. Matzah is an unleavened cracker. And you can use it, it's very popular around that time of year to make everything from matzo ball soup, or you can use it to make matzo pizza as a favorite of mine, different desserts using it. A lot of the other Eastern European ingredients would be different kinds of like cabbage and beets were really popular, so I like to incorporate those in different recipes. The juice um, had a lot of the tougher cuts of meat, such as brisket or tongue even, so I'll experiment with those as well. So those things that people aren't necessarily cooking if you just give it a little love and you can make it really delicious. Right. Now, for someone who does not have a Jewish bubby, what are some good learning resources online or books for people who want to learn more about Jewish foods and cooking? Yeah, the good thing is Jewish food's kind of in right now. So there's definitely more books and restaurants about it. Definitely a classic book, which is not Jewish per se, but Adelangi, the Israeli chef, he makes gorgeous Middle Eastern-inspired food that definitely has some Jewish heritage to it. The Joy of Kosher is a great blog, and she does some more kosher food, not necessarily always Jewish, but around the holidays especially, it's more Jewish food. Same with Shiksa in the Kitchen, Tori Avi, she has a great resource. Jewish Food, The Nasher is a website as well. They do a lot of really fun recipes, so there's lots of options. And if you're in, especially if you're in New York or L.A., there's so many new coming up, Wexler, Deli, and just lots of ones like that. Where you can experience Jewish food firsthand. Right. It's good to have a sort of a wide range of options, whether they're online resources or restaurants you can go to or even just books that you pick up at the bookstore, right? Totally. Yeah. There's more options now than ever, which is great. Awesome. Well, were you always a good cook? <laughs> That's a good question. It's fine. Growing up, I wasn't that big into cooking. I was more a baker and you know, I was more artsy, so I loved to make cupcakes and decorate them and I would definitely like lean more towards baking brownies and cookies but when I was initially starting my blog I wanted to start a baking blog and then I started thinking like do I want to make cookies every day I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that so I started experimenting with more cooking and I found that I loved it because you can be a little more 
like free-handed with it. You know, when I'm cooking for my website, I measure everything to make sure I can let people know exactly how much I use. When I'm cooking for fun, I'll just throw a little this and this in there and clean up my pantry and add different spices so you can really experiment. And I find it just very, very relaxing. Awesome. Now, I consider myself an okay home cook, and I'm always excited and a little bit scared when attempting new cuisines. What tips or advice do you have for getting over that initial hurdle and just to try something new? I think you just have to go for it. It's just food. People always say they're a little afraid to cook. And you know, maybe if you're cooking a really expensive steak, you don't want to mess that up. But the good thing is a lot of Jewish food's inexpensive to make. It's kind of peasant food. So you're not going to be wasting a lot of money if you mess it up. So I think just go for it. In worst case, it's food. You can order pizza and you know, it'll be okay. Right. Or just suffer through one meal. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, I guess. Yeah, well, I think a lot of recipes too, it's not going to be that bad. Like if you're making, today I made shakshuka, which is an Israeli recipe. It's eggs poached in a tomato sauce. And the worst thing that can happen is you overcook your eggs, but then you just have eggs instead of runny eggs. And it's still delicious. So yeah. And you still have tomato sauce, right? Yeah. You have tomato sauce. Sometimes mistakes are equally as good. So don't be afraid. Awesome. Now, have there been times when you ventured outside of cooking Jewish food and things didn't go as planned? These days, I definitely cook mostly Jewish food. I'm really busy with my blog and all my freelance work as well. But I like to experiment, especially with different kinds of Mexican cuisine living in Texas, or I like to try different Middle Eastern recipes that aren't quite Jewish. But I don't think I had anything a total disaster. I have had some times where, especially during Passover, when you're trying to use kind of weird ingredients because you're not allowed to have any leavened products. So you're not having any flour during that time. So I'll try to make a cake with some weird ingredients and it's just totally flat and, you know, not the best thing. So, but I don't think I've had any horrible, horrible failures, knock on wood, so far. (laughs) Awesome. Well, if I were to try making a Jewish meal for the very first time, What are a few good introductory dishes for beginners? It may seem a little complicated, but I love making brisket because you really can't go wrong with it. If you cook it, the only thing that can go wrong is if you try to boil it instead of cooking at a low and slow temperature, and it'll take all day, but it's really mostly hands-off, and you can even do it in your crock pot, and if you just let it go long enough, seven, eight hours, it'll come out delicious every time, and you can really add whatever spices you want. I've cooked brisket in beer and whiskey and wine, did a little spicy version, added some tahini, so you can really get creative with it, too, and I think it's impressive. People are always impressed, and especially in Austin, it's known for the smoked brisket, and then I'll show up with my Jewish-style braised brisket. People are always a little hesitant, but once they try it, they're always impressed, so I think that's It's a little more complicated than maybe beginner, but it's really not. I think people just think it's tricky. So that's definitely a staple. And now for more of a Middle Eastern, you know, now traditionally a lot of Jews eat hummus. I always make my own hummus now and it's not hard. I think people are a little afraid of using dried beans, but it makes a world of difference. And again, it'll take a little time, but it's way better than the stuff you can buy in the store. Awesome. And do you have recipes on your blog for brisket and hummus? Oh, yes. Lots of them. Yeah. One of my favorite hummus recipes, I did a hatch chili hummus. It's a little spicy. And recently I did a pomegranate hummus, which is a little sweet. And one of the most popular recipes on my site is for a whiskey and cranberry braised brisket that I did for two years ago. Hanukkah fell on Thanksgiving, so they dubbed it Thanksgivinga, which was really fun. So I did a lot of combo recipes. This is kind of my Thanksgiving meets Hanukkah brisket, but I still make it all the time. Awesome. Well, here at the dinner special, we talk with food heroes about dinner dishes that are special to them and how we can make it at home. 
Can you talk about a dinner dish that is special to you? Why is it special? And maybe the story behind the dish? Well, one memory I always have is for matzo ball soup. And this is matzo balls are a dumpling made out of matzo meal, which is it almost looks like flour, but it's an unleavened cracker. So it's a matzo dumpling in basically a chicken soup and you could add noodles to it. And I always, my grandma, my bubby would always make it growing up. And so I just have a lot of memories of eating it. And it's the kind of thing, they call it Jewish penicillin. Because if you're sick, if they're sick, they're like, oh, matzo ball soup. You need matzo ball soup. You know, I've made it for friends and boyfriends and it's cured everyone. And I think people are a little hesitant to try it first because it looks these like weird floating ball things in soup. But everyone just loves it. And again, I think a lot of food that I love takes a little time to make and you can't just rush it with some pre-bought chicken broth. You have to make your own, but it makes a difference. And I think if you just set aside a day, you know, like a nice cold Sunday day and make matzo ball soup, it'll totally be worth it. And you can kind of tweak it a little bit. Like my bubby always add parsnips to it. So I love parsnips. Some people add noodles or rice, you know, you can kind of make it your own. Awesome. And this matzo ball soup recipe is on your website. Yes, yeah, I have matzo ball soup and I have some different versions of matzo ball soup too. I did a matzo ball egg drop soup. So it's kind of like double comfort food there. For Christmas time, a lot of Jews traditionally go eat Chinese food because that's the only thing open. So I always do some kind of Chinese food recipe around Christmas time. So if you want to make your own, you can. So I did that. And then I have, oh, I have a matzo ball potato chowder that I'm going to be doing coming up for Passover too. That's in an ebook that I sold last year, but I'm going to let it out of the ebook for this year. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you could invite any three famous people over for your matzo ball soup, who would they be? Well, I got to go one of my favorite Jews, Andy Cohen from Bravo. He's just hysterical. I think he would be really funny and entertaining and it would definitely be a good meal and he'd bring some alcohol too. So that'd be fun. And then if they can be living or dead. I got to go with Joan Rivers. She's someone that, out of anyone that's ever lived, I'm like, oh, why didn't I get a chance to meet her? She's inspiring as a funny woman, as a Jew. You know, just her whole life story, I think, is just really exciting. And then I got to invite my grandma, my bubby over. She's not famous yet, but I think she's on her way. So I think that would be a really entertaining, delicious dinner. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of laughs and a lot of crazy stories going on there. Yeah, they're all very loud personalities, too. So. Right. Now... Let's say you were to do dinner and a movie with your Bubby, Joan Rivers, and Andy Cohen. What movie would you be pairing with your matzo ball soup? I feel like it's got to be kind of like a classic kind of 80s movie or something. I don't know, maybe a cocktail, Tom Cruise, or something kind of funny and a little old school that we wouldn't have to pay too much attention to so we could gossip and talk. Perfect. Now, Amy, it's clear that you have a true passion for food and cooking. For people where cooking is more of a chore and more of a routine, how can we make it more fun? I think we well, got to start with like a little good music, pour yourself a glass of wine, make it like a whole experience and then start with something easy that it takes no time at all. You can, you know, cut up an onion and open a can of tomatoes. You can make it. So start with something easy that is really like impossible to mess up. And I think that'll kind of build your confidence and it'll make it more fun for you. And I'm not opposed to people taking things that are pre-made and kind of tweaking them a little bit. If you bought some pre-made chicken to add to your matzo ball soup instead of cooking the chicken, that's fine. Whatever makes you happy and makes it work, but it tastes better if you make it from scratch. So There you go. Now, I call the next part of the dinner special podcast, The Pressure Cooker. I'm going to ask you seven fast and fun questions that we want to know your answers to. Are you up for it? I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> awesome. Number one, which food shows or cooking shows do you watch? 
I am obsessed with Chopped. Like, I could watch that all day. I just love to see what they do with these super weird ingredients, and I kind of, like, think of what I would do. And I really love Top Chef, too, just because I love the dynamic. And the chefs on there are just on another level. The stuff they come up with and how fast they can cook things, it's super impressive. Awesome. Number two, what are some food blogs or websites we have to know about? I think you already mentioned a couple earlier, but, you know, what are some blogs and websites we should know about? Yeah, those are some good ones. My name is Ye. It's a really awesome blog. She's actually half Jewish, so she makes some Jewish tweaks on her website as well. One of my good friends, Little Ferraro Kitchen, she does a lot of ethnic foods. I love to see what she comes up with. During Hanukkah, she did eight days of different Hanukkah food from around the world. So a lot of them were even new to me. So that was super cool. And I I try to read a lot of local Austin blogs too, but someone, and Tori Avey I mentioned, she does a lot of food history too. So if you're interested in history, that's a great one. And then you mentioned the Food 52. I love, I don't even know if I consider that a blog anymore because they're on another level, but they're great for discovering new foodies and their recipes are always on point. Awesome. Number three, who do you follow on Pinterest, Instagram, or Twitter that make you happy? I'm really into Instagram, especially. I just love the visual aspect of it. I just feel like that's like the new social network that, besides Snapchat, but it's like the cool one, I guess. So I like to follow food people and non-food people. So for laughs, I'll follow Andy Cohen, of course, as I mentioned. He's always got good stuff going on. And I like to follow, oh, the Garden of Eden. She's, I think she's in Toronto, and it's E-I-T-I-N, Garden of Eden. She does just gorgeous food displays. That She'll use edible flowers, and it must take her an hour to set these gorgeous shots, but I love following her. And Infatuation on Instagram, they post, they'll repost different other people's stuff, and they'll post from different restaurants. Their food always makes me drool, and I won't even be hungry. I'm like, I need to eat something. So. But I love Instagram. There's so many interesting people. Definitely. Like, if you're a visual type of person, Instagram is sort of definitely the place to go, especially, like, for food. Yeah. I'll even follow, like, jewelry designers and clothing designers. I think it's just cool to get inspiration from different things. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, when you're cooking, too, it's an artistic aspect to it as well. So you can definitely pull inspiration from different, you know, people. Number four, what is something all home cooks should have in their pantry? Well, besides the immediate staples, something I like to add are unique spices. Something I'll have for dinner all the time is just roast of some seasonal veggies with a different spice on it. Maybe make like a spicy yogurt sauce on top or poach an egg and put it on top. And that's it. Especially if I'm eating something heavy during the day or I'm going out to dinner, I'll have a nice light lunch. But I think what makes a difference is adding a unique spice. I love using za'atar. It's a Middle Eastern spice. It's a blend of actually different spices. The main ingredient is sumac, which is a very citrusy, lemony flavor, kind of subtle. There's oregano in there, sesame seeds, thyme, and sea salt. So you can make it yourself. But it's just got a really nice balanced flavor. That using smoked paprika I like a lot, especially if you're keeping kosher so you're not having bacon and different chilies or stews. And it gives kind of a smoky aspect. So I would say a few unique spices can take your dishes, your staples you always make and bring them to the next level. Right. Awesome tip. Number five, name one ingredient you cannot live without. I might say tahini. I've been really into tahini lately, but something I always have in my fridge is Greek yogurt. I'm obsessed with Greek yogurt, and I have it a lot as a savory thing, too. So I'll make like a savory breakfast with some Greek yogurt, and I'll put in some like pumpkin seeds and some hot sauce, which like sounds really weird, but if you think of Greek yogurt just as a very neutral flavor, you can do so much with it. And so I'll even mix that with tahini sometimes and make a sauce, which is tahini is a sesame paste used in hummus. 
or mix it with some hot sauce and put it over some veggies. It's just extremely versatile. It has a lot of protein, so it's really filling too. Perfect. And number six, what are a few cookbooks that make your life better? So I have so many cookbooks. One of my New Year's resolutions is to actually use them, not just like ogle them and look at them. I mentioned earlier the Adelangi, all his cookbooks are just gorgeous. Even just looking at them for the food photos, I love. And I'll always go back to Joy of Cooking is a classic. Something I've also been interested in, there's a cookbook called Schmaltz. And Schmaltz is a rendered chicken fat. And there's a whole cookbook dedicated to what to do with this chicken fat and how to make it. So it's your traditional Jewish ingredient, but to see it in different ways is really fun. So I'd love to try to experiment with that cookbook a little more too. Cool. And finally, number seven, what song or album just makes you want to cook? Lately, I don't know if I should admit this, lately I've been listening to a lot of Taylor Swift. It just kind of pumps you up. Yeah, right? I don't know. People who don't like Taylor Swift are lying, I think. So I don't know. It'll pump me up or I'm really into 90s music. I'm a 90s child. So I'll put on like the 90s Pandora station or Whitney Houston Pandora and see what comes up and just something kind of fun and poppy and it'll get you in the mood for cooking for sure. (laughs) Great. Congratulations, Amy. You have officially survived the pressure cooker. (laughs) That wasn't so hard. Okay. Amy, thank you so much for joining me here on the Dinner Special Podcast. Now, you're all over social media. What's the best way for us to keep posted on what you're up to? Well, all my social media links are what you want to eat. And you can sign up for my emails on my website. That's the most consistent way. There's a few boxes you can sign up there or follow me on Facebook, Instagram, whatever your favorite way is. Those are my favorites. Instagram and Facebook are my favorites. Awesome. And definitely go to whatyouwantoeat.com. Now, before I let you go, I have one final question. What's next? Actually, so I'm working, I just finished a cookbook proposal that my agent's going to be pitching out in early February. So hopefully a cookbook. And I'm also speaking at South by Southwest in March in Austin. So that's going to be pretty exciting for me as well. So always new things. I have a few new clients I'm working with. The fun thing about this job is it's always evolving, never ending. So hopefully by this time next year, I'll have a cookbook. Awesome. Well, good luck with the cookbook. Keep us posted with that and definitely be on the lookout for that in the coming year, I guess, right? Hopefully. Thanks. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for joining me here on the Dinner Special Podcast. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Head over to thedinnerspecial.com for recipes, highlights from every show, super blog articles, and all the wonderful ways to keep in touch on social media. Your culinary journey awaits, so let's get cooking.